0: A thankful heart and a thankful life is a strong one see when our lives and our hearts are filled with gratitude and when we are grateful for not just what God has given But when we're actually grateful for who he actually is, his presence, it changes our perspective. And so I'll say again, thankful people are strong people. Why? Because they realize who God is and they are not swayed one way or another by what they have or do not have. And so this morning I really pray that as you heard that song and as you sung along with it, that it was reminding you of where your heart needs to always be. <clears throat> See, you may not be where you desire right now. You may not have what you thought you would at this particular point in life. Or maybe you had it and you no longer do. Or there may be some changes happening, boy, that you were not looking forward to changing in your life, but if you can rest in the one who holds you, if that is Jesus Christ, if you can rest and be thankful in the one who has your life covered and surrounded, those things don't matter. They don't matter for your joy, and they don't matter for your purpose of life yes God knows you need them but boy a thankful heart is a strong heart good morning solid word <clears throat> we're going to finish up in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning in the very last part as we get into his word if you would stand with me in the insert of your bulletin or in your Bibles you can turn to chapter 4 and we'll read from verse 25 to the end, which is verse 32. <clears throat> and we're gonna look at today, last week we kinda of got this, this, this sky view, this bird's eye view. We got this view of the, of the, and I can't, I've been trying to think of those things all week, they're so popular now, the little helicopter looking, thank you. I've been racking my, being. I'm, I'm talking about all week. <laughs> And that word cannot come to my mind. I'm just like, we got the drone view last week. Looking over as to as we are now new in Christ, how we should view life and how we should not, the direction that our life should take. And we looked at living no longer out of the new man, not putting them not putting it away daily because it's been put away, but we were looking at how we need to view ourselves and and live in the newness of this life that we've been giving. Now we get to actually take a road view. We actually need to get on Google and click on street-level view. And that's what we're going to get in verses 25 through 32. So let's just read together. Therefore... Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief steal no longer. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, look at me. I'm, I'm reading things that aren't there. Let me go back. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather him labor Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. You may be seated. Now the tendency with this text is for us to once again get a checklist and a to-do list and we begin to check off how good we are at doing this. And all it becomes is a pursuit in feeling bad because we realize we can't do this on our own. And boy, sometimes we fail miserably and we go back or we stay away from this text because we don't want to be reminded of what we're not doing. We don't go to it. You know? And so if I'm not faced with it, then I don't have to deal with it. And so maybe God won't require it, but you know that's not true. But this is, not this, this is not something that you look at and say, okay, let me see how I can do better today. Yes, we can live better, but what Paul is talking about is something greater. What he has done is he has given us a basis for why we are to live in this newness of life. Verses 17 through 24 can be what I'll call both a theological and an ethical basis for verses 25 through 32. In other words, because of what God has done, he has called us at the beginning of chapter 4 to a worthy life. He says, you need to live up to the calling I have. And that call is not a call to be a pastor and usher and musician. It is a call to one salvation, and it is a call to holy living. Those two, and out of those two, he can use you in any capacity. See, the call, I, I, I can get hung on my call as pastor, and I've had brothers in this line that, that they get so hung up on the call as pastor that they, that, that they forget to live for God. That, that they get so engrossed in it that they begin to let the position go to their head. And so then they start living as if they're some sort of special being. I can say that because that's, that's in the group of people that I work with. And, and, and God is saying, but if you remember the initial call, you won't go there. So uh, God is using some to sing, and they have marvelous voices. But, boy, they can let that voice get to their head, and they forget that the initial call was one to salvation because he rescued fruit, uh, you from darkness. You're on your way to hell, and he rescued you. And then it was a call to holiness, which is how you live since you've been. And we have some people that are gifted, you know, physically, athletically, and, and, and they use it, and, and, they, and they talk about this gift God has given in his calling, but they forget as believers that the initial and the greater call had nothing to do with what you do. It's who you are. Because once you realize who you are, the what you do will follow. See, one of the things, one of the reasons why I don't, here's my prayer. One of the reasons why I don't go on and on and on about you giving is, is, is this. The reason why. I pray that God grabs your heart. I pray that God grabs your will and your resolve and your purpose. That's what I pray for this church. When I go before the Lord, I am, I am, I am praying that God gets all of you. Why? Because your money is included in all of you. And I'm not directing it. He is. And so when he wants to touch your heart to do something special, he will. Yeah, we'll give a need, but I don't have to arm twist you, three, four, five offerings to make sure I get what we need. Why? Because if God has your heart, when he wants you to do something more, you will hear him. But if he doesn't, I can sit up here and dance from the morning till night. I can put on the show, and we have others do it as well. It may sway you some of the time, but it's going to get old after a while. And if God doesn't have your heart, nothing's going to change. And so what he's saying here is, is God has set it up that he, has, he hasn't remodeled us. You know, this isn't taking your old basement and making it new. What God is doing is giving you a basement when you didn't have one. He's not, he's not giving you a new suit. God is giving you a new body to put the suit on. And so he's not talking about, let's get a better you. There is no better you. There isn't. There's no better me. There's a new you and a new me. Yeah. Told it that way. I'm not depending on what I've had from before and make it better because here's what will eventually happen. If I take something old... And I want to make it better, I'll start taking credit for making it better. Yeah. See, I, I I remember when I had you know, lost a bunch of weight and 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 and, and then kind of reshaped and sculpted the body some. I then lost a lot of that. But 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 I remember that time and and I took some 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 pride in some. I was like, Man, I, I did a pretty good job because <laughs> I had in on this. I had to change my eating, I had to get to the gym a lot, I had to do, I had to, I, 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 I. And it was good. I, you know, I changed some of the old me. Yeah. And some of us do that with our Christianity. We think, hey, I used to be this sinner, but look at me now. Man, look at what I did. And I got in, and boy, I started spending all this time in prayer. Prayer is good. I, spent, I started spending all this time in the Word. I started doing this, and look at who I am today. And we are breaking our arms, patting ourselves on the back for how we've increased who we are. Now, yes, it takes your working. But please understand, you don't ever see someone who is deceased going to the gym. You don't ever see someone deceased going to the hairstylist to get a new style. You don't see someone who is dead changing their wardrobe and their clothes. That's about how silly it sounds when I take credit for what God has done. What did he say earlier in Ephesians? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Can we understand that? He said, you were dead. There isn't anything that you could do to change you. And he says, but God, who is rich in mercy. And so, so he he brought us to life, gave us a new us, and now He said, here's how I want you to live. See, we've, He's taken us from that old team, made us new, and put us on the new team. And we're all excited about being on the new team. We are. But God says, but now you have to know how to be a player on this new team. You don't know. So you got to practice. You got to do something different. Why? Not because you're trying to make the team. You couldn't make it. You couldn't do anything to make this team. I just put you on it. And when he put you on it, he says, now here's how you live as a member of this team. And you go, I can't do that. He says, sure you can. Not because you can do it, but because I am empowering you to do it. So that takes us from a totally different vantage point. What am I talking about? It takes us from me having to work to get to where I am, to to understand Ephesians 2, I am God's workmanship. He is working on me. I'm just following the instructions of the one who is shaping me. And so this message today is not a let's do better. You're going to hear a lot of don't lie, speak the truth, no anger, and we'll be tempted to go, okay, check, check, check. No, God is telling you you are able to do this you just have to learn how to do it you have to practice doing it when you first made whatever team that you always wanted to be on and you made the team and you got in there and and you started to learn some things you wow! i never knew how to do that and i never knew how to do what i and you started learning some, and, and you go, being on this team has challenged me. I have learned some things that I never thought I could do before. And it's because the level of expectation was higher because the team was different. And so for this morning, I say all that I did so that we get out of our minds, this is a do better sermon, message, speech. No, God has says, let come out of you what I've already placed in you. But you have to practice doing it to understand or, or, to, or to gain proficiency in it. He says, I've already put it in you. You just got to work it out. So let's look and see now. So <clears throat> we see that he tells them who they are and how they live. And he starts with this put off and put on. Now when he starts to get at the street level, what he begins to do, Paul gives, a, it is kind of a replacement of what used to be. See, he understood something. We are creatures of habit, and we have to develop some new habits. And so Paul wasn't just telling people, stop doing something. I mean, we are the masters of telling people, stop doing that, even as parents. Stop doing that. But one of the things I learned is when you tell someone to stop doing something, Do you replace it with what they should do instead? Because if all you do is to say stop, some people would be like, well, what do I do instead? I remember when I would hear some people that were into selling drugs and they would say, these people were laughable. They would tell me to stop. I had made all this money. I had done all this stuff. I I had done all these things. And if I stop, what do I replace it with? And some of them will argue this little job that, well, yeah, well, you don't have anybody looking over, your, you're not looking over your shoulder, you don't have the law after you. So stop this and do that. Stop practicing this and start practicing that. He wants you to change your habits because you have the ability because your mind is new. When the scripture tells us be renewed, I mean, no, be transformed, sorry, by the renewing of your mind. He is telling you to think differently, process differently, come from a different perspective and vantage point than you did before. Your transformation and my transformation in Christ has already been done initially, but my growth and maturity in Christ Christ will happen as I am changing the way I think. process. Live, respond. That is a renewed mind. What is the content for my renewal? If you want me to think differently, you've got to give me different material. If you want me to practice differently, you've got to give me different material. God says, I got that covered. I got the Word of God, and that's going to, that's going to be the content for how you change, for how you live, for how you think, for how you process. Some of us just think that reading the Word of God is information only. And we we can regurgitate and we can give it back like God has given us a test in school and he asks us a question and we answer it. He asks a question and we answer it. But it has nothing to do with how you use it in your daily life. You leave the test room and you go past the test. But I have no idea what I just did. So... We're going to look at five things, and actually there'll be six, but five things. The last two, I break out. five things that he tells us to one not to do and then to replace it, it, it with. In one occasion, he just tells us what not to do. He doesn't give us the replacement, and we'll see that. So when we start off, the first thing that we want to look at is renouncing falsehood and speaking the truth. Renouncing falsehood and speaking the truth. I'm just giving you big titles up there. There's nothing else after you You can write as you choose. But he tells them, having renounced, that's the word that that this actually means. Let me turn here. He says, now, therefore, having put away or having renounced falsehood. Now, that word does mean lying, but it's not just you telling a lie. It is all-encompassing on lying. It's It's you wanting people to believe a lie. It's you you promoting falsehood about yourself, about what you do, about who you are. Today, we see it in some different ways. If you look at people's social media page, you would think they are having the best life they could ever, ever have all the time, when actually, it isn't as it appears. That selfie doesn't represent how my life really is. I'm really trying to talk myself into being this way, but I'm really not. And God says, it's falsehood. See, I may not tell you a lie, but I may present to you a lie about who I am. I may come to church and make you think I'm the holiest thing on the planet, but know that my life is a wreck inside. He says putting away and renouncing falsehood. It's not just me saying I did something when I didn't or I didn't do something when I did. It says that the whole manner of your life, is it false or is it true? Are people seeing the real you? Are people seeing who you are? Are you, does your talk and your walk live on the same planet? Are you talking down one street and living on a totally different one? And when he says to put away falsehood, he is saying, do not, as members of the community of the body of Christ, because we are joined together, when we look at those other verses, because we are joined and connected and actually, just real quick, when he talks about the ligaments, and we all understand that, you know, and, and especially, yo, you know, you, you, you guys who are in sports, you know, we, we, we hear about ligaments all the time, you know, when there's the ACL and the MCL and all these other things that are there, and when we hear some of these other things about you tore a ligament, you sprained an ankle, you're really tearing that, li- he is saying that 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 the body has connectors, that each part is supposed to be doing its work. But when you look at the earlier chapters that we read between 17 and 24, as you read that carefully, God's gifted, I mean, every child of God is gifted, and they are gifted to build the body. They are a part, and each part works to build up other parts and to build up the body in total. And we understand that because our bodies work like that. But the ligaments, he says, as you read that carefully, the ligaments are those gifted individuals that he mentions because he says, and he gives some to be. And he says apostles and prophets and, and evangelists and pastor, teachers. And as you read a little bit down, God says, the way I connect my body, everyone being gifted, Are these gifted individuals showing them how they connect? Showing them how they stay together. So a pastor that's divisive is a torn ligament. So a a person that is working in a prophetic, don't let that fool you, proclaiming, forth-telling, they don't have to tell the future to be a prophet, and most of them would be stoned because the future they told didn't happen. But that's how you handle prophets. You they they were killed, false prophets. But 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 as you proclaim God's word, you proclaim it in such a way that you help people connect. Because he says that 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 every supporting ligament is there. But as you read through and see that text, he says, I'm giving these people. So the evangelist, the person who is one who who really has that passion for winning the loss, really helps the body to connect with how to share their faith. The pastor connects in helping people to come together so that they supply what the other parts of the body needs and they don't let anyone become this this lethargic, Uh, another word um, that I can't, whenever, oh my Lord, whenever you don't use something and you lose the youth, Thank you, guys. Atrophy. My words, man, this week has been tough. Atrophy. You, you, you don't have any parts to the atrophy because they're not being used. But instead, you are shown how you come together to work. You need those. Your body without ligaments is just a collection of bones. And God says that you're connected. And He's going to share about that connected in a moment. So, he comes and says, so listen, these gifted individuals, so renouncing falsehood, and when he's talking now about your neighbor, he's speaking primarily about the community of believers. Yes, it can be taken largely out to anyone, but in this context, he's saying in the community of believers, stop living falsely with one another. As a matter of fact, he says... You should expect from me neither to deceive you nor defraud you as a believer in the body. He said, because I'm not trying to do something that is going to paint a picture of what doesn't exist. And so even with money and finances, falsehood means I'm reporting things that aren't so. I'm fudging business reports an expense report so that I get back more money. Oh, it's, it's okay, everyone else does it. Everyone else may not be in the body of Christ. Or I work in such a way that, that, that I gain an advantage by not doing something. Or I make it seem like I'm working hard when I'm really not. I've had to wash it. Those of us who have freedom in our time, I included, and we can really make it seem like we are working exhaustively hard. God had me look this weekend looking at myself, how are you working? You know, folks think you're the pastor, boy. Brother Pastor, be working hard, man. And I can milk that joker if I... You know, it's been really hard this week. <laughs> Laboring for the souls of the people, man. And I can make you, I can make it seem like I'm crawling in, man, because I've been just laboring, knowing that I'm not spending my time wisely. God said falsehood. But he gives me a replacement. He says instead of, and, and so renouncing falsehood, he says instead speak the truth or let truth be intentionally spoken. In my relationships with you, even in the hard conversations, the truth is spoken. And I don't use truth as a weapon. I don't weaponize truth. Because some people do, I'm going to tell them the truth. And what you're really saying, I'm going to hurt them with this truth. Oh, is truth you want? I got it. And then you give it to them. No, God says, he also tells us to speak the truth in love. And he qualifies it for us. But he says, you are to be, we are to be a community of people that constantly put away falsehood and are people of truth because we have the truth in Jesus Christ. We speak the truth. So he says, put away falsehood, speak the truth with your neighbor, with those around. We should always be known for not when I say something, is that the truth? Is is he on the up and up? Is he telling the truth? If that's your reputation, God says you can change that to where people say, if he said, hey, if he said that, you know, hey, man, you can trust him. You can trust her. She's a person who speaks the truth. I've had people that have come up to me and said, you better be careful when they start talking to you. Because I don't know what's true and what's not. That should not be a descriptor of the believer. So not only now is it renouncing truth and falsehood, he says, the reason is because we are connected. What does it look like if one of your body parts said one thing but was really a lie, and so your lungs said to your brain, I'm going to take in some air for you? Sight, not. (laughs) I'm I'm not going to breathe. Or What if your right arm was, really, think about that. I'll work in unison You pick up one end, I'll pick up the other. (laughs) And they pick up one and he just goes, I thought you were going to fall for that. No, it would be silly for one part of your body to deal falsely with the other because then what you have is dysfunction. And sometimes we have that in our body. It's not intentional, but sometimes a part of the body can't respond or work with another. And so there is a dysfunction in that. And God says, the picture is clear. He says, just as silly as it is for one part of your body to defraud the other because you need every part, that's how you look as believers in the church that are defrauding one another and not speaking truth. So then not only now is it to renounce falsehood, speak truth, then he says to refuse to indulge sinful anger, refuse to indulge sinful anger. Psalm, actually, what he had in mind here was Psalm 4.4. When he quotes, he's actually quoting a part of Psalm 4.4. And Psalm 4.4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. And so what he was saying here is, the context of Psalm 4 is David has been accused the psalmist has been accused of some things that were false and did not happen. He was he it was it was stated of him something that was false. Now you are talking about dealing with falsehood, something that was false. How do you deal with it when people are lying on you? I'm not I'm not saying you say they're lying on you when they really have some truth in their statement. I'm talking about people are lying on you. They have painted a false picture of you. They are not doing. And he says, there is a place for anger. Now, this word for anger is used here and here only. It is not a something has made me. It it is not a becoming enraged anger. It is something has happened that should not, and I can get irritated with that. Why? Because it should, you should not have lied. You, 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 you shouldn't have painted that picture of me. You shouldn't have said that about that church. You, you, you shouldn't have done that to that family. You shouldn't have abused that child. You shouldn't have caused that company to go under with your embezzlement. I'm angry with that because God would be because it's unrighteous. And it's a righteous anger. But he tells them, you need to watch this. Why? Because he says, you need to be angry, or in your anger, don't let it turn to sin. And so there is a righteous indignation, but most of our anger isn't that. Because most of our anger, anyway, most of our anger is is usually around some hurt or harm to me and you damaged something or you or you made me look bad and now I'm mad or my pri- my injured pride was hurt Let me read the rest of David's response verse 7 and 8 of chapter 4 says you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound, that they are those that have falsely accused me. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O oh Lord, will make me dwell in safety. Do you see why his anger didn't turn into sin? He said, yeah, they intended all this, but my joy is intact. He says, I'm sleeping well. He says, I'm not getting bent up over this. As a matter of fact, you know what? I have more joy than they do. And so he sets in place and says, Yes, what they did was wrong, and it should probably irritate you because it was sinful, but I don't let it go any further. But outside of that, we see that we need to be careful between righteous anger and sinful anger. Let's talk about some questions to ask yourself between righteous anger and sinful anger. Is it what angers God? Is what you're angry at something that angers God? Or are you just mad because it just messed your thing up? Next question. Is it free from injured pride? Is your anger free from wanting to get revenge or malice? That's kind of all kinds of different expressions of anger. Then you ask your question, what is the source of my anger? James 1, 19 and 20 talks about the anger of man. And it says here, he's going to put up in just a moment, James 1, 19 and 20. Let me just turn that real quick. And I have it up there. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Why? Because you see, four, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So he says, when your anger isn't in line with what angers God, he says, it's man's anger. And man's anger doesn't end in righteousness. And if it is unrighteous anger, it's going to damage the community. Understand the whole point of chapter 4, especially at the end, Paul's focus, although he's speaking to them collectively and individually, the collective is the focus, the community. He is concerned with the unity of the community, so every part needs to do its job so that the community stays intact. And so he says here, your unrighteous anger is eating away and eroding the community and the unity of the community And he said, God's like, I'm not having it. And that's what you saw in Corinthians. You saw a display of the community being eroded. And so unresolved, sinful, unrepentant anger gives the devil a wedge after that, because he says, and he says, in addition, and give no opportunity to the devil. It's in the same thought And so that give no opportunity is connected with your unrighteous anger. And he says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, here's what it doesn't mean, that you need to resolve this at all costs before the sun goes down. He didn't say, let your, he he said, do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't let your anger fester long and you don't deal with it. Because if you don't deal with it, it will turn to bitterness. And we'll see that at the end. It will turn to bitterness. It will turn to wrath. God says, listen again. This is not a to-do list. This is who you are as new believers. He says, you just need to practice it. Why am, the, why am I not good at not letting the sun go down in my anger? Because I haven't practiced. God, if it was up to me, I'll let 20 suns go down in my anger. <laughs> God is saying you know what? He says, you can practice something differently. He says, deal with it quickly before it turns into something more. And we have many believers in churches today that aren't speaking to one another because they've ignored us. Boy, they let that thing fester and grow. It it has then turned into a full-blown tree in some people's lives. And they are mad at the world. So he says, do not let the sun go down in anger. Then he says, the next one is understanding that the devil will try and get a foothold and an influence, and he will use whatever you give him. But he says, the next point is a refusal to take, but resolving to give. What do I mean by that? He says in verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. Two things. Stealing is thievery, regardless of the stealing. So people that steal are thieves, and thieves steal. I know many times say, well, I just took it. No one's gonna know. No, you're a thief. I may not be a professional thief, but at that moment I was a thief. And so when he says, now let the one who, let the one, let me get back to it. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let's look at that. So you're renouncing stealing. Well, When we think of stealing, we think of one particular, hey, I didn't steal from the store or I didn't take his phone or I didn't take. Boy, there's so many ways we can steal today. Bootleg movies. Wow. You didn't pay one royalty to them. Pirated music. You want to know something among our ranks as pastors has sidelined many people? Plagiarism. Taking someone else's work in sermon and putting it as their own. There are many that do that. They won't do the work. Come up there with a sermon that people, oh, that was great. Yeah, the only problem was so-and-so preached it two months ago. <laughs> Instead of doing the work. Pastors are guilty of it, too. In school, cheating. The environment has just so much now. I'm looking over. I'm not prepared, but you are. (laughs) Obviously, you're prepared. We get pushed up against the line, and boy, I need to pass this test. What am I going to do? I'm going to sneak in something. No one's going to know. God says, let the thief. See, but we, we, we box thievery into a particular context. God says, stealing time from work. Ouch. How do I steal time from work? Well, you know. But the deal he says here, again, it is within the community of believers. He said, here's what it erodes. <clears throat> it erodes your integrity and it erodes your testimony. It erodes your integrity, and it erodes your testimony. God says, you are to be the most shining, not perfect, because this is in process, and I'm learning to grow in this. But I know my standard. My standard is not, you know, um, um, Mr. Late Bud here. I'm, I'm more on time than him. Everyone's more on time than him. That's not the standard. God says, my standard is right here. And he said, let them still you on. But instead, instead of taking from others what is not yours, I like what he replaces with it. He said, let them work. And that, that, that word, the Greek word for work is let them toil to exhaustion. Let them work hard. See, some people you go, I ain't, trying, I ain't trying to work harder. I'm trying to work smarter. Now, I understand what you mean, but you know, there is a place for hard work. There is a place for sweating and getting in and doing the work, taking the time. It takes long. It's hard. Boy, this thing hurts. God says, good. You are learning what work is. I take the easy way out. I take the easiest job that pays me the most because I ain't trying to work, Lord. God says, I'm glad you're making the money, but the philosophy is twisted. God said, you should be people that are willing to work and do whatever is necessary, and that includes school. Boy, I can take the easy way out. Hey, I can get that A, but why get the A when the C is cool? Now, if all you are capable of in that class is a C, get that C. Make that joke of work. But boy, if it is within you to get that B or that A, and you go, a oh, C is fine, God's like, you're not being like one of mine because I've called you to work. But God is hard, I know. Today we have lots of people in, in a society that goes for, that lives for their vacations and lives for their pleasure trips. I've worked with people that Monday morning, I can't wait till Friday. Dude, you got five days in between. Yeah, I know, but... I can't wait till Friday. Why? Because, man, i got some good things planned. And so the whole week is driven by I, my leisure at the end. God says for the believer, dig in and work because you're not working for you. You're working for him. You, are, you have given your life to him. You've given your heart, yourself to him. And he says, God, I work because people, I want people to see who you are. I'm not trying to impress over here and over here. Whether you think I'm crazy or, oh, look at his goody two shoes over here working his little head off, making us all look bad. No, you did that all by yourself. (laughs) I'm trying to display the Lord and what He has given me. And so, why do I work to exhaustion? Here's what I said Boy, this goes against our society. Why do I work to exhaustion? It is not just for me. He says, let him work with his own hands. In other words, let him get to work hard so that he can be a giver. So he says, don't be a thief and just take what's not yours, but be someone that when you work hard, you are working for more than just you. And he says, let him work so that he can provide for those that have need. And those are within the community of faith. I ain't working to give to someone else. God said, yes, you are, actually because someone is doing that for you. And he said, that's how the body works. And so then, not only are we refusing to take, but resolving to give, refusing evil talk, but resolving to have good talk. And this one, we got to be careful. And boy, he says to us here, let no corrupt. And that word for corrupt actually means rotting, rotten. It's worthless. It is useless. Let no useless talk come out of your mouth. But, but, but and again, we go back to the way that we talk to one another. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. God says there should be a purpose to your talk, to your words, that 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 words should just not randomly come off your lips. And you say, this guy is just talking to hear himself talk. He says, in the community, yes, you need to measure your words. Yes, you need to watch what you say because he says, you can tear apart this community with your words or you can build it up. So abusive, degrading, slanderous, gossip-filled, divisive speech is to be renounced because it doesn't fit the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, It says, as fits the occasion. So you need to be present in your conversations so you can understand what the occasion is so I know how to respond and talk. But then there's a part of it that I think we've separated and we've separated wrongly. And we think it means it's, it's going on to another thought. But let's read it real quick. And we're coming out to the end. He says, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And it's in the same thought. He hasn't changed thoughts. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Your speech that is destructive and damaging and disruptive to the unity of the body along with the other things that he mentioned is grievous to God because it is causing the body to be disunified or ununified. God says, that's not me. He said, remember, scripture tells us to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, right? But that keep unity of the spirit Keep the spirit, I mean, keep the unity that the spirit has brought. And so he says, when your speech, when your actions, when the way you live is distra- is, is, is actually taking away from the unity of the, of the community, God's heart is saddened. Turn to um, Isaiah 63.10. Put that scripture up. I'm not going to put the other one, but... and. Write this scripture down for yourself, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11. I want you to read that, how God responds when he is grieved and, and we aren't repentant of it. Isaiah 63.10, did you have that one up? I'm going to wait till he gets there on that one because I, I, it's too long to turn. And then we're coming down to the end. It says, he's talking about, too, but they rebelled... And grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, and he's talking about the people of God. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Who is that? He? He's talking about God Himself. He Hear what he's saying. Because they rebelled and they grieved him, he turned. Now, you were on his side at one point, he said, but he turned and he became your enemy. And he said, he himself, in other words, he didn't send an army to fight them. He himself fought them. Please send an army, Lord. Because if God himself is fighting, there is no hope. None. See, you fighting me, I might be able to overpower you or get enough help to overpower you. God fighting me, I'm done. I'm done. And so he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit, which has sealed you. He has guaranteed your salvation. He is saying, why on earth would you want to sadden the one who has sealed you till your final redemption comes? And then lastly, refusing to tear down but resolving to build up the community. Is both of them, refusing to tear down and resolving to build up the community. And he goes into this barrage of words and he gives the negative and then he replaces it with three and these three are fulfilling and we're done. It says here, bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, malice. Let me just hit on some of these. Bitterness is when that anger is not dealt with that we looked at earlier. This is what it leads to. And then when he says wrath, and he talks about, this is outbursts of rage, along with clamor. We don't use that word, but that is, it is crying out loud against someone. That is uncontrolled, just screaming at your, and, and, and I've been around it, boy, where I see people almost at blows, and they're screaming, well, why did you do that to me? And God is like, Dad, how long, is it? that's not me. He says, you can be, but boy, and this yelling and, cussing and screaming and going, and God says, you are not behaving in the new man. You have put them old clothes back on, and you are wearing them strained. And God says, that's not me. And so he says to us, he says to put it away. But he says at the end, be kind, tenderhearted. Do you see the difference between the two groups, he gave you this barrage of, and we look at that and we go, okay, that's not going to end well. But then in thirty-two he says, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another." Look at this. He says, "So be kind, and that kindness be useful to people. Be gentle instead of being angry and in an outrage and in an uproar." He says, "Be useful, be gentle, be pleasant." Be tender-hearted. That That is, be compassionate, handling people with care, knowing where they are. And then he says, forgiving. How do you deal with this? He says, we should be known for being forgiving people that are tender with one another and know how to handle because I'm in the moment. And he says, so with that, he says, let me give you why. Because this is how Christ handled you. See, he didn't come in guns blazing. He didn't come in shooting us to death. It says that he didn't come to condemn the world, because they were already condemned, that's why, but that the world through him would be saved. He didn't come in cocked, loaded, and just started blasting away every one of us. He came in and was tender. He was kind. He was forgiving. And then he died. And he said, here is how you should be with one another. You want to know how we live as a new man? A new woman in Christ? God says, here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like. And he says to us, how are you practicing your new humanity that I've given you if you've come to know Christ? Or are you just settling for the old and don't know what to do because you've never practiced it? See, this is freeing. It's liberating. Why? Because God says, you don't have to live in that old way like you did before. You don't have to live like you've used to. You don't have to live in that old man that you hated and you hated how you got upset and you, you know, had this fit of rage. You didn't didn't like how any of this was. You were just like, oh my, I don't like who I am. God says, good. I've got a new you. But it doesn't come automatically how you live in it. He says, I've put it on you to live it. And so as you do, he says, boy, you will enjoy it. But not only that, your community will reflect it. And you will stand out in this world as something amazing. People will look and stare. How do they do that? What are they giving away in there? And them people are in a cult. Well, hey, I'm like... and. This is the kind that you may want to be. We're not in here killing one another, abusing one another, using one another. People are actually growing in here. People are actually loving coming together. They're spending time outside of this place in people's homes, and, and they're friends with one another. They actually help one another. Did you see that? They actually went over, and they cleared his yard, and didn't ask for any money. They actually helped them out and didn't hold it as a favor that you need to return to me someday. He said they did it because they wanted to. What kind of people? Do, what kind of people do that? <laughs> the kind that have been transformed by God yeah. and shows the life of God. Let's pray, Father. Thank you so much, that Lord, Father. You have called us.